Hey guys, and welcome to the 17th episode of the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. As per usual, you're joined by myself and Tierra, and we thought we'd start off this episode by giving a bit of an overview of how we've been going, because we know not everyone follows us on social media, so we thought we'd give it an update now. Yeah, so I guess just quickly, Jack and I have been powering through these last few weeks of uni. We've just wrapped up our seventh week of the semester, so we're practically halfway through. I think we have about one and a half months left until we're officially finished our master's degree, which is pretty freaking damn exciting. It's gone by so fast, but um, yeah, myself, I've just wrapped up an entire placement working with Light and Easy, helping them trying to find out how they can target more males to purchase light and easy. So I've really been enjoying that project. And Jack and I have recently started working at Inspire Health. There we are shadowing some sports dietitians. We've also got some competitors who are competing. One of our male physique competitors, he is three weeks out now from the Queensland Rookie Show, which is super exciting. And we also have two other competitors who are also competing in uh, four weeks. So they will be at the Brisbane Classic competing in, one of them is a female competitor. Her name is Kate. She'll be competing in fitness and sports model. And then the same male competitor who's doing the rookie show, he'll be there competing in physique as well. Yeah, it's very, very exciting. We can't, they've done such an awesome job so far. So yeah, we can't wait to see them on stage. Yeah, it's been so cool watching other people go through that journey. I just, I love this so much and they're absolutely nailing their posing. We're meeting up again tomorrow to do some more posing sessions, which should be really fun. Yeah, I can never do enough practice for posing. No, you cannot. So yeah, I have also wrapped up my four week placement for one of my courses and I was with a company called Procurement Australia. And yeah, I was basically just analyzing how their staff were doing in terms of their nutrition habits and their physical activity patterns. And then I basically had to tailor some resources that I made um, to suit their problem areas. So yeah, not, yeah, it was all right. (laughs) Yeah, it's just something you gotta get done done, I guess, (laughs) done done. Uh, But that's pretty awesome. Like literally that's an entire subject for us just done in four weeks and we've only got three other subjects now left to wrap up and this is the first semester of our lives where we don't have any final exams. So holy shit, that in itself is just awesome. We are so damn close. Still a lot left to do, but still very close. (laughs) Yeah, and this is, I'm on week seven now of my mesocycle, so my training cycle and the special thing about this one is that it was the one where I have reincorporated all my problem exercises so things like my squat RDL bent over row basically anything that involves my lower back and yeah I'm really really enjoying it so far and I've honestly seen a lot of body recomposition so my weight has gone up by quite a bit and my so how much are you weighing it now So I'm weighing, this morning I weighed 84.5 and I'm basically sticking to about one kilo of weight gain a month. Mm -hmm. Great. And you're just going to keep gaining and reassess. And do you have any plans for when you might decide to do a mini cut or are you just really going to assess when it might be necessary? I'll probably just assess when it's necessary, but yeah, I definitely don't think it'll be until I'm over 90 kilos. Yeah, dude, I reckon you could easily even push to 95 and still be all right. (laughs) Mm. 
Yeah, and uh, my self-training is going really well, feeling so strong at the moment. I've been getting a lot of PVs on like dumbbell bench press at the moment. Last week, I got five reps at 22.5 kilogram dumbbells, which is just, damn, it just felt so good. I love chest press, just feels so empowering. Yesterday, I got another volume PB. I did four sets of 10 with 20 kilogram dumbbells. Um, started to implement front squats quite a few weeks ago because back squats just really weren't working for me. Yeah, they're, my legs and my femurs are just too long and I'm not suited for back squats, but front squats are looking and feeling so much better and I'm doing sets of eight at 55 kilograms now, so I'm pretty damn excited to, in a few weeks, get up to the 60 kilogram mark because it was even less than a year ago that I was just struggling to back squat 60 kilograms. It was just pretty, it was just uncomfortable. Mm. But yeah, training's going really well, working a lot, just getting shit done. It just feels good. Like, I feel like we're at that point in the semester where there's so much to do, but I don't know, we got this, you know? Like, we've done it before, we'll do it again. So yeah, just powering through, just staying busy every single day. Yeah, it's not long to go at all i think it'll pass very quickly oh man like literally i can't wait until we just won't be assessed anymore we're 21 and i feel like we've been in school almost our whole lives so on the topic of finishing our studies obviously we'll be going into the workforce after that and we're both already working but obviously our full-time careers and we'd just like to put out that we'll be accepting on anyone who would like to join our team or just get some coaching from us. So that can be anywhere from lifestyle clients to people who want to do posing for uh, uh, comp prep. So obviously season B is coming up and most people who are doing season B have probably already started their preps, but obviously there's off season development, um, comp prep for season A next year, just any general nutrition coaching or dietetics professional coaching and stuff like that. So yeah, exactly, guys. So if you want to get in touch, please don't like don't hesitate to contact us. We're incredibly passionate about helping others, and yeah, we just want to help people achieve their goals and get ready for stage. You know, in the healthiest, most sustainable way possible. So yeah, if that interests you or you know someone else who is looking for a coach hit us up. So yeah, we'll get straight into the questions we got asked for this podcast episode. And the first one was by Nicholas Aitken. And it is just wondering what your views are on glucose partitioners. So also known as GDAs and as a supplement such as RPG by Redcon and how well they work, if they work at all. Okay. So GDAs or glucose disposal agents are receiving quite a bit of hype around them in the fitness industry at the moment and they are being marketed as a quite a popular supplement you guys might have even seen some of your favorite social media influencers advocating for them now the theory behind gdas is that it essentially makes your muscle cells more sensitive to glucose uptake and when you consume glucose and carbohydrates with more cell receptors known as your GLUT4 receptors available on your muscle cells, they're gonna be able to soak up more glucose, store it as glycogen, also use it as energy. And also, if your muscle cells are able to take up more glucose, then your fat cells will be less inclined to take up glucose. This also kind of ties in with that if you take a GDA, 
your body won't need to synthesize as much insulin. And insulin is an anabolic hormone, which is responsible for driving glucose into both muscle cells and fat cells. So if you have less insulin, then more glucose is likely to go into your muscle cells, less into your fat cells. Now, this is a nice theory, but like a lot of things we've talked about, it's not the way it actually works. And guys, your body already has, it already produces a gold standard glucose disposal agent, okay? And this is known as insulin. So regardless of the amount of carbohydrates that you consume, your body is going to sense that amount of carbohydrates and your pancreas is going to secrete the appropriate amount of insulin into your bloodstream to activate those GLUT4 receptors on your muscle cells to take up glucose. So you really don't need a GDA. Yeah, I definitely agree. And if you're one, relatively lean and not overweight or obese and your pancreas is okay, and you can produce insulin, then there's absolutely no need to be taking those GDAs because, yeah, as Tierra said, you have the gold standard GDA within you, insulin, so. And it's free. <laughs> it doesn't cost $70 a pop. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, there are definitely pharmaceutical options such as drugs like metformin, um, Sulfurylurease. I remember even our um, biochemistry teacher couldn't even pronounce that word. <laughs> yeah, but those are drugs designed for people, individuals with type 2 and type 1 diabetes. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And the, the way that those work is that they actually recruit more GLUT4 receptors to your muscle cells. They'll also kind of suppress gluconeogenesis in the liver, so your liver will stop producing so much blood glucose. They really just act in a way because type 2 diabetes is characterized by elevated blood glucose levels and insulin insensitivity. So it just tries to lower your blood glucose levels into a more homeostatic range. Yeah, ultimately, GDAs are just another marketing tool by supplement companies along with fat burners and testosterone boosters and all that sort of stuff to obviously make more money. And that's just a reality of the market at the moment. And I don't really blame them. They're just trying to make more money. But it is a bit unfortunate when people do waste their hard-earned money on things that don't work. So. Mm -hmm. So yeah, basically, if you're a lean individual, you're performing regular activity, you're not overweight or obese, you have no issues with your pancreas and your insulin secretion, then there's no need to be taking any sort of um, glucose disposal agent at all. Yeah, save your money. Okay, so next question is... By John Scales, and it is... Performance benefits and dosages of magnesium, fish oil, and potassium for athletes. Mm. So I can cover magnesium and potassium quickly. And obviously they're two of uh, a number of very important electrolytes in the body. And these two ones specifically are very important for cardiac function, nerve conductivity, muscle contraction, fluid balance, acid base balance. And yeah, the list could literally go on for probably about half an hour. So, <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, with those, they're very tightly regulated by your body. So uh, your kidney, Basically, if you consume too much of them, you'll excrete them and consume, yeah, the, the real major concern is consuming not enough. Um, yeah, exactly. But to stay at homeostasis, your body is going to go to great lengths to make sure that the amounts are very, very tightly controlled. 
So you'd have to be in a like a really strange homeostatic situation for them to actually be out of balance and out of whack, like severely dehydrated or like severely overhydrated. Mm. And yeah, given this, I don't think that having additional magnesium and potassium will benefit athletes. I think it's more on the other end of the scale where if you do not have enough, that's when it will detrimentally affect performance. So I would say just making sure you're having enough and even get your bloods checked or things like that if you think you might be too low. Mm -hmm. So like potassium, similar to sodium, very, very important in muscular contraction. So if you are experiencing like extreme muscle cramps, that could be an indication perhaps you're not getting enough electrolytes or potassium is absolutely essential for proper heart function. So if you are depleted in potassium, you're going to start having heart arrhythmias, which is very, very dangerous, but also very rare for the average healthy Mm. individual. Yeah, it's as long as you're eating yeah, fruits and vegetables each day, they're both quite high in magnesium, potassium. Beans are at high in magnesium as well. So mm, Yeah, whole grains are awesome. Just yeah, following a healthy, nutritious diet, and you shouldn't really need to worry about these things. Yeah, the only thing I'll add with magnesium is that it does, like higher dosages can help with muscle relaxation and sleep. So that's not necessarily, will, I guess, maybe indirectly lead to performance benefits through enhanced recovery, but no direct performance increase, like something like creatine or caffeine, so. Mm, Yeah, nothing acute for sure. But if, for example, you supplement magnesium per night, what's the dosage there? So yeah, I take about 500 milligrams each night using just a normal magnesium supplement. I find that the powder form is also, it's absorbed more easily than taking capsules as well. And I take that around one to two hours before bed. And yeah, I find that if you take it a bit after you eat your last meal, then it'll the absorption will be less inhibited by things such as fiber and competing against other um, vitamins and minerals as well. So, mm. All right, so what's the second half of that question? It's about omega-3s. Yep, so omega-3s, again, uh, will not lead to any acute performance benefits, but obviously... They're a polyunsaturated fatty acid, which is one of the essential fatty acids in the body. And basically, there are two components of omega-3, which is EPA and DHA. Yeah, in the Western, typical Western diet, omega-6 is much higher than omega-3. Omega-6 is also an essential fatty acid, but it's more associated with pro-inflammatory, so increased inflammation, whereas omega-3 is anti-inflammatory. And yeah, obviously, anti-inflammatory properties is important for recovery. Omega-3 is also very important for blood coagulation and brain health as well. Yeah, so super essential nutrient there. And like Jack said, so in the Western diet, right now the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 is actually 1 to 20, when it should more be a ratio of around 1 to 6. So we are consuming way too much omega-6 through processed foods and vegetable oils and way too little omega-3 which you find in things like fatty fish walnuts and chia seeds yeah and a bit about the dosages of omega-3 so omega-3 is there are two components really and or two main components of epa and dha and when you are consuming those you want there to be a two to one ratio of epa to dha and one about one to two grams each of those a day. So 
that might equal around yeah two grams of EPA and one gram of DHA. Yeah, and remember that's not actually um, that because uh, most fish oil pills are around one gram each, but that doesn't equate to one gram combined of EPA plus DHA. It's it's quite a bit less. So to actually reach that, you may have to consume somewhere between three to six actual fish oil tablets during the day, but just take a look on the back of the packet and see how much EPA plus DHA is actually in each tablet. And be a bit aware because some fish oil companies or supplement companies can be a bit stingy and you just wanna make sure that you are getting a very high quality fish oil. Like Jack has uh, double strength ones, correct? Yeah, and you can even buy triple strength ones and they are a lot more expensive, but ultimately you might break even or even save money because you'll end up having to take like six to eight of the normal strength ones. Mm, But recommendations for oily fish, like if you're having two serves of oily fish per week, that usually gives you enough EPA plus DHA. So if you're having things like salmon, sardines, kippers, or if you're having other sources of omega-3, which are actually in the ALA form, so from plant sources like walnuts and chia seeds, this is a little bit less efficient in the body because ALA needs to be converted into EPA and DHA. But yeah, essentially just consuming enough of those in your diet and trying to emphasize those types of foods over the more processed foods and more vegetable oils. And you should be able to get a good ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. So moving on to the next question, which is can fat cells store water? Okay, so I think anyone involved in the health and fitness industry or who follows other you know, social media influencers, especially if they're going through a contest prep, there's been this theory thrown around that when you lose body weight, what happens is that the fat within your cells, it is replaced by water. And although you've technically lost fat, your scale weight isn't going down because you're holding on to water. And sometimes people throw in there that cortisol plays a role in your stress, which is causing more water retention, right? And then essentially it's kind of just, would you say it's an excuse, Jack? No, I would just say it's miseducation. Miseducation, okay. Or if that's a word, like misunderstanding maybe. Okay. Is that a nice way to say an excuse for not losing weight? No, it's just me being... (laughs) understanding. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, the theory is that, yeah, your fat cells are actually holding on to water instead of fat, and that's why you're not losing weight. Again, this is a nice theory, but I actually looked this up, and there is absolutely no evidence that I could find for fat cells to store water. And I believe that fat cells, because they are hydrophobic, meaning that they repel water and they attract fatty acids because anyone who's studied biochemistry or chemistry knows that fat and water actually repel each other. So uh, anyway, a fat cell I think can only actually contain up to somewhere between 5 to 30% water. So yeah, in essence, it just doesn't really make sense. That's not the way that it actually works. You're, the reason why you're not losing weight isn't because your fat cells are scarcely holding on to water and trying to hyperhydrate you. 
But yeah, I guess the theory is that, and then once you know you de-stress and cortisol goes away, that your fat cells go whoosh and let the water out, and then that's when you usually see a big weight drop. So yeah, it's a nice idea, but there's just really no evidence to back that up. All right, so next question is... Was by Tahir, and it is... So his maintenance is at 4,000 calories and he struggles to eat in a surplus causing bloating, discomfort, etc. And he's just wondering what he can do about that. So again, I don't want to basically act as a coach. I don't want to be too personalized because I think that's unfair for other people asking questions. But if I was looking at this as a coach to client, I would probably figure out whether he's bloated either because of he's just eating a lot of fiber and a lot of food in general, which obviously naturally that's going to increase discomfort because you're going to be full a lot of the time. And that's just part of the reality of being having a high maintenance really and having to eat a lot of food in order to gain weight, which kind of sucks. Well, it's good when you diet, but it's not as nice when you're um, trying to gain weight. And the other side of the coin for this one is I would want to double check whether he is sensitive or has IBS to some of the FODMAPs. So they're fructose, oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. And for some people that'll cause, yes, bloating and discomfort and gastrointestinal distress. So basically I would want to check whether his diet is high in any of these and maybe even do an elimination diet, which is basically testing for each of these individually and checking if he has any gastrointestinal distress linked to them. And from there, I would be able to have a more educated opinion and make a decision on what is actually causing his distress. Yeah, I might even look at his eating window too, because sometimes people feel bloated because they, tr- they are only eating like two meals a day or maybe three meals a day, but on 4,000 calories, trying to shovel that many calories in per meal, you might actually want to space your eating window out so you are eating more frequently throughout the day so your stomach just doesn't feel so full at times. And even just being smart with your nutrition and taking advantage of perhaps in this case, you know, you can even drink your calories. So at times during the day where you might have a glass of water, instead have a glass of milk or have a glass of juice. Mm. Yeah, literally for me at the moment, a smoothie with like either flour or oats, a piece of fruit, um, protein powder and milk and maybe some nuts for additional fat is literally like an easy 1300 calories and it's only like 300 mils. So Jack's literally like in the kitchen downing this thing and I'm there like, oh my God, I would actually bake a cake with those ingredients. Yeah, literally is kind of like pancake mix. Oh Just God, it. like I'm, I'm still jealous. <laughs> oh man. Okay, cool. So the next question that we're going to cover and this is related to supplements and Jack and I can certainly speak anecdotally to this one So this is one is talking about beetroot juice and beetroot juice concentrate. So Jack and I were recently sent from our supplement company, VPA, a sample of beetroot juice concentrate, and we wanted to try it. And what's pretty cool is that 
For the last few years at university, you know, Jack and I have learned about beetroot juice as an ergogenic aid. We've even written reports on it. We've done tests on it in like some funky lab um, settings, but we've never actually tried it ourselves. So to start off with, beetroot juice concentrate is essentially just concentrated beetroot juice and it comes in powdered form. A standard dose usually equates to around 500 milligrams of nitrates and you get that in around 25 grams of powder. Now, the way that it works is that nitrates are converted to nitric oxide in the body. And nitric oxide has a va it causes vasodilation and increased blood flow and increased oxygen delivery to our muscles during exercise. You might even see it on the panel of some pre-workout products because it'll be NO2. That means nitric oxide. So. Mm, exactly. Yeah. It's like that pump product. And literally, anecdotally, I can for surely say that it really, really helps with the pump, especially with those with vasodilation. So essentially, you want to take this dose. We've been taking around an hour before exercise. And yeah, it just increases blood flow and oxygen to your muscles and it can help with power output. It can really help with endurance. It can also help to resynthesize phosphocreatine, which can help with improved strength and performance. It also, because it's helping with oxygen delivery throughout the body, you'll find that if you're doing like high intensity work, you actually have a faster recovering heart rate. And I've certainly noticed this like for example, on the end of some of my upper body days, I do battle ropes and I usually do five to six sets of 60 slams. And before I started supplementing with this nitrate, you know, my heart rate would be really, really high at the end of each set and I would take a few minutes to come down. But what I've noticed is that, you know, after just a minute, my heart rate has already come down and I, it's not just from my breathing pattern. I can actually see that on my Fitbit, which has a heart rate monitor on it too. And I'm ready to go again. So yeah. And in research, it has been shown, especially in that later half of exercise, it really helps with endurance. So like time trial performance and time to exhaustion nitrate certainly can help. And according to the Australian Institute of Sport, um, nitrate is currently listed as an A-listed supplement. So it's up there with creatine and caffeine. Yeah. The only other things I'll add is that just be wary that it is an energy containing supplement. So unlike things like creatine or caffeine, because it literally is just powdered beetroot, like, there, there are some carbs in it. So like four. 25 grams will have around, I think, 13 grams of carbs. So, yeah. yeah. And it tastes like dirt. So. Yeah, it tastes like absolute shit. <laughs> like that's probably the hardest thing about it is just downing it. Like, So don't fill your whole, whole shaker up. Just do like a little shot. Oh, my God. We saw that on Instagram the other day. Someone filled up an entire shaker worth of beetroot juice. And I'm like, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> Literally, I put in like the smallest amount of water I possibly can and just down it because it tastes so bad and your mouth just turns bright red. But maybe it's a good trick for prep, like to, <laughs> to curb the hunger. Yeah. Oh, God. Yuck. Yeah, that will definitely put you off food. 
But um, yeah, damn, the pump I can say is unreal, especially when I'm doing battle ropes or like bicep curls. Like I almost feel like there's so much blood in my muscles, it almost hurts. And it almost reminds me back when I was in prep and I was much leaner and I'd get a pump. It literally, I guess people in the bro community, what do they call like skin splitting pumps or something? Did you experience that as well? It like actually feels uncomfortable. It feels hot and <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it hurts, man. But if uh, like, damn, the performance benefits, it's good. I, I like, I like nitrates. I like nitrate um, beetroot concentrate other than the taste. Yeah, so we'll probably finish off with one more question, which is, are digestive enzymes worth it and do they work? So yeah, we can, yeah. So again, they're a bit like GDAs in the sense that they've emerged pretty recently in the market and they're getting more and more popular. And I believe people are taking them just to, with the belief that they will improve the digestion of what they're eating, more efficient absorption, in like go to the muscles, quote unquote, faster and stuff why like do, that. Like, why don't people have faith in their pancreas? Like the pancreas is freaking awesome and it already produces these enzymes. Like why the hell are people doubting the pancreas? What the hell did it do to them? So basically enzymes that your body produces are made up of proteins. And the problem with consuming digestive enzymes in a supplement form is there are a couple of re- problems with it. The the major one is that you have this thing called hydrochloric acid in your stomach, which is very, very acidic. And it basically destroys or breaks down all the proteins that you eat. And very, very, very few actually get past the stomach into the digestive tract. So yeah, but that's its role. So like hydrochloric acid has a pH of somewhere between one and two. And proteins are denatured around pH four. So Exactly like Jack said, if you're taking these enzymes, which are proteins, they're going to be denatured in your stomach, so they're not going to be able to do their role. <laughs> but that's a good thing, that because hydrochloric acid is supposed to denature protein. Like if you eat a big steak, you want to denature it and break it down so that when it gets into your small intestine, you can absorb all the little bits. And yeah, some people who do have enzyme deficiencies really actually do need to take pharmaceutical or medical doses of enzymes. But for starters, these enzymes are often coated in various products that inhibit the effects of hydrochloric acid, or they're just in such enormous dosages that they do pass through the stomach. And yeah, a small amount do pass into the intestines. And But obviously with supplement companies, if you, they don't offer products of that grade. They literally just, again, trying to sell you a product that will not work very efficiently. Yeah, exactly. I remember when we worked in the hospital, I was working with a patient who had pancreatic insufficiency and he had to take this type of medication called Creon, which would pass through his stomach, go into his small intestine, and it would help to him absorb fat but the amount, the amount of Creon he actually had to consume per day and with every single meal, it was a very, very high dose. And again, guys, that is pharmacological grade. Those are actual drugs like prescribed to people with chronic health conditions. So you're not gonna be able to find that in a supplement company. So yeah, just have faith in your pancreas, you know? It's there to do a good job. It's not gonna let you down if you take care of it. So. Again, please just save your money. 
So finishing with what we usually do each podcast, Tara will go first this week in telling us what she learned. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So this week I learned that you can do rain checks at Kohl's and Woolworths. And the reason why I learned this is because I love sardines and anyone who knows me knows that I'm a canned fish fanatic. And the other week, Woolworths had a sardine sale. They were like 85 cents a can, but they were all sold out. And I was like, what the hell? So I actually called my dad and I told him about it. <laughs> and he said, you know, Terry, you can do a rain check. Um, so what you do is you just go to customer services and say, hey, um, this product was all sold out, but I still wanna buy it. So what I was able to do was go to customer services and I asked for like two cartons of sardines. The guy thought I was kind of crazy, but essentially you can get a rain check for that exact same price. So like when they're on sale for 85 cents or a dollar and you've got 30 days to collect it. So Jack and I are gonna go shopping after this and I'm gonna pick up my sardines. And yeah, so, but you don't just have to do that with sardines, obviously anything that's on sale at Kohl's or Woolworths, like if your favorite cereal was on sale, but it was all sold out, just go to customer services and say, hey, I want 10 boxes of cereal. And they might give you a funny look, but they can't. Exo crunch. Exo crunch. <laughs> but yeah, they can't refuse you. <laughs> so that's what I learned this week. So the fact that I learned this week was actually about organic versus non-organic organic farming and there is a lot of controversy out there about which is actually healthier between organic and non-organic foods and ultimately well i'm of the opinion that neither of them are, are healthier than the other they're pretty much both the same the only thing of whether you would choose organic in my opinion is potentially meat organic meat versus non-organic meat because there is some influence of hormones and antibiotics and yeah, other medications used. Mm. But when it comes to fruit and vegetables, I don't think it's that easy to say. Um, I think it's more ethical when it comes to fruits and vegetables. But yeah, the fact that I learned today is actually organic farming still uses pesticides. They're just organic pesticides. And these organic pesticides can still be just as harmful for plants, animals, and humans. So yeah, that's, I guess that's a way for organic farming to basically, um, another way to get around the rule book and still use effective farming practices. So ultimately they're farming as well to make money just as much as commercial farming. So yeah, exactly. I think the main thing is, is that I don't, uh, the just issue I have with organic is that sometimes it deters people away from eating fruits and vegetables because sometimes they think if they don't have the money, because organic vegetables can be like four times the price of normal vegetables, if they don't have the money to purchase that, but they don't want to eat quote unquote unorganic produce, then they might not eat fruits or vegetables at all. And that's way more unhealthy than eating you know, food that is quote unquote unor unorganic, which is, oh my God, don't even get me started on something being not organic. Anyway, okay, cool. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in for episode 17 of the podcast. Again, if you enjoyed it, please take a screenshot, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, tag Jack, tag myself, and we will catch you next week. We've got a really exciting episode coming up next week with an mm. exciting gut health guest. Very good. All right, see you guys. See ya.